Hello and welcome to episode three of the Called Bank podcast. This is Nathan Mortensen. And this is Dale Harper. And we are very sad this morning after last night's game. I, it's like, as I mentioned before, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan. So the Mavs won first and I was like, this is looking great. The Jazz are going to win. Tomorrow's going to be a great podcast. And then the Spurs hit the Jazz with a mid-range, with their mid-range shots again. And the Jazz didn't know what to do. The most painful thing for me was watching Denver just stay in the game against Oklahoma City and then lose. And so looking at it where there was just a great opportunity for the Jazz to catch up a game in the standings. And instead, now they're a game in front of the Rockets, who they play tonight. And the Rockets have had a day of rest and the Jazz are just coming off their terrible loss against the Spurs. So now you're looking at it and... If the Jazz lose tonight, they lose the tiebreak against the Rockets and they drop to the five seed. And I honestly think that if they lose tonight, that they're going to be the five seed and that they're going to play the Rockets again. And it's just going to be a repeat of last year's matchup, hopefully not last year's outcome. I did not realize how close positions like three through seven, you could even add position two at the Clippers. They're a little bit ahead, but in the West... Spots three through seven, they're all like three and a half, four games apart between them. So anything can happen. You could see something crazy like the Thunder hop up to like spot three, or you could see something crazy like the Nuggets drop down to spot six, just depending on how the games turn out. I really think that everything's going to stay put, that there is all this like possibility for maneuverability. But the problem with everything is that somebody has to start losing for you to move up. And the team that has the highest probability of starting to lose right now seems to be the Jazz because they dropped five like right before the All-Star break. They did come back and win the last four, but they dropped those five in a row, three or four of them that they should have won. And then now you're looking at the exact situation that happened last time where they lost an easy game that they should have. And then they're going right back to play another Texas team. And Houston's really good. And they're coming out hungry. And they just destroyed the Warriors two days ago. And destroying the Warriors isn't a huge deal. The Warriors are pretty awful. They even traded away D'Angelo Russell. But still, I thought the Rockets were getting ready to collapse. But seeing the energy that they're playing with, seeing that they added Jeff Green, Damari Carroll, which... You wouldn't think as huge additions on paper, but Jeff Green played great. And when you're going small ball like the Rockets, you need more wing defenders. And that's what they picked up. So I don't see the Rockets slowing down anytime soon. Sure, they're not going to be a juggernaut, but they're going to be a tough team to play for every team that they play. Yeah, and so with this, with tonight being a playoff preview, I'm just really hopeful that the Jazz pull it off because... That'll give me a lot more confidence and it will give the Jazz a lot more confidence. If they lose tonight, I just, they're so close to the sixth and seventh seed that maybe even that could happen. And honestly, even though the Jazz have been playing okay this season, I really think that maybe dropping to six or seven and playing the Nuggets or the Clippers would be preferable to playing the Rockets in the four or five. It just feels like the Rockets have the Jazz, Jazz's number. Like, they lost their two stars and still blew out the Jazz. 
the first time that they played. And the second time, the Jazz won with a crazy buzzer beater. Yeah. And looking at it, I mean, numbers-wise, it was going to be really, really hard for the Jazz to pull anything off. And then last night, when you let the 17-0 or 18-0 run go against the Spurs, and then they get up on you by 21 points in the first half, I believe the statistics of you getting back from that, you have like a 1% or 2% chance of winning that game over the course of the past five or six years in the NBA, once you're down by 20. And I just need to see more energy from the Jazz to really feel like they have a chance. They had went on that really great 20-win stretch. But after that, when they started playing games where it counted, they just lost a game where they didn't show up, and then they didn't show up for the next few. And so I'm really hoping to see them turn this corner. Because we are getting to the point where Rudy Gobert is playing amazing, and he has to be re-signed in about a year and a half. And up until this point, I thought it was just going to be a done deal, that he might take a bit less than the Supermax so that the Jazz could try to put pieces around him. But if it keeps going the way it's going, and if he's out there playing his heart out, and he just doesn't feel like the Jazz are getting him there, he has the opportunity to dip ship and go to some other place where they might be closer to a title, and maybe even in the Eastern Conference where it's a lot easier to get there. Could you imagine, like, I haven't given it much thought of, and I don't think Gobert will leave. I think he likes it here in Utah. He's a fan favorite here. But if he were to leave, could you imagine him going to a place like Miami? Um, like, or, or, or like, where would you see him going? I couldn't see him going to Miami because they have Bam right now. But Bam's kind of undersized. And yeah. and he, he's a little bit more of a stretch guy. And I, I feel like Gobert kind of fits in with that Pat Riley style. He very well could end up going to Miami. Um, I guess that's that's a possibility. I just feel like Miami runs a quicker game. But maybe I'm wrong on that sense. I'm trying to think of where I'd see him going, but maybe Oklahoma City. They're not going to have Chris Paul. They're going to be looking to rebuild. They, they, probably, they might move Steven Adams in yeah, the near future. To try to get picks and picking up Gobert to center your franchise around would be great. Another option would be I mean, none of the, neither of the L.A. teams. He could go to Sacramento if he just wanted a money grab. But he still wants to win, and so I don't think that would happen. So he'd want a place with good ownership. I don't – it's just so far in the future that I can't imagine. But I do feel like other jazz players need to wake up you, because Gobert's always going to play his heart out and – if you guys just are playing lackadaisical and not able to put to, to play well in the first and second quarter, because the games against Houston and the Spurs, none of those games were lost in the second half. The Jazz played a okay second half, but they played a mediocre, if not just terrible, first half and could never get back in it in the last few losses they've had. Okay. So and we are getting ahead of ourselves with this. Gobert free agency thing I I would not be surprised if he's locked up before he ever he ever becomes a free agent but that is something that jazz fans might be a little bit scared about if players keep come up to big games or even like the Spurs shouldn't even be a big game and they just come in and they don't give it their all like they did last night 
But let's go over the Spurs game. Um, I know this this podcast has kind of started a little bit doom and gloom, but let's start with let's go over the good, the bad, and the ugly of last night's game. The good was Moutier playing his heart out. I feel like and having a great second half. It was rough to see that coming out of the All Star break, Conley had to be rested. And I guess the hope was so he could play better against the Rockets on the load management there. But would have been nice to see him last night. But Moutier didn't disappoint. Moutier wasn't. He was a positive in that game, not a negative. And Moutier, he's on a he's on a one-year deal, correct? Yeah, just one year. And so I, I know coming into this free agency, um, he, he said that there were places offering him starting roles. But he wanted to come to Utah and learn the Utah system because he felt like that would be the best thing for his career. And he he hasn't been consistently great, but he has had flashes showing that he is a great player. And during times where the Jazz were a little bit shorthanded due to injuries, he came out and he was a big role player. He made a big difference for them. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. Moody was probably the biggest like good thing that came out of the Spurs game. Another thing is... Gobert, he he did have some mess ups, but Gobert, he's been the, one of the most consistent players in the NBA. He he gave us what you expect out of him with his 18 points and uh, well over 10 rebounds. And so Gobert, he's a professional. He's going to play great, and he did have some slip ups, a couple plays last game. But I think overall, you know what you're going to expect out of Gobert, and that's a great sign. Yeah. The bad was that the Spurs showed how terrible the Jazz are at guarding the handoff. Because that was one thing. David Locke, the voice of the Jazz, was saying that the Jazz are one of the worst teams in the league at guarding that handoff. And so when you do that handoff on the perimeter, it's really hard for the Jazz to be able to stop the creation that you can get going. And the Spurs run some of the most of that. The Rockets are capable of doing that. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for the Jazz to play the Rockets. So both times the Jazz have played the... Well, the, this time and the last time the Jazz have played the Spurs. I don't know if they played them before. I didn't look into that. But the Spurs beat up the Jazz with mid-range shooting. It, it's like watching the Spurs, especially when they play the Jazz, it's like watching the NBA in 2003. And the Jazz... They don't know how to guard the mid-range. They're so set up to guard the perimeter and to not let anyone in the post with Rudy Gobert there. And the and so the second Rudy steps up, it kind of breaks their whole defense when he steps up to guard the mid-range because it leaves the middle wide open. And so the Jazz don't know what to do, whether to have him step up or how to prevent those mid-range shots. And so you could see that and see most teams, they're not playing the mid-range game. It's all threes are in the paint. And so the Jazz are set up to defend that way. But once you get in the playoffs, when you're playing up to seven games against a team, you'll change your basketball style to figure out how to break that team's defense. And so when you get in the playoffs, the Jazz need to know how to stop that mid-range, especially if they're going to go against a player like Kawhi Leonard, who thrives on the mid-range. Yeah, and Kawhi, who's just going to come out in every game where the Jazz... I think they got one win against the Clippers without Kawhi, which is why they have a chance for that tiebreak. But right now it doesn't look like that tiebreak is going to matter unless the, I mean, it would be really nice if the Clippers came out and dropped a few easy wins, but 
that's not going to happen anytime soon. I think the ugly part of the game, I mean, and you can tell me what you think, the ugly part was that 17-0 run. When you're within four and you're finally getting your heart rate up and it's going, and if you push through that, then you go into the break close, if not tight, if not ahead, and then you can come out and do what the Jazz do and play an amazing second half. But they just let them get an easy 17, 18 points. And I'll be honest, I was doing physics homework during the first half. Then during the second half, I was just looking at the score periodically because my physics homework was more exciting than the Jazz <laughs> game. So that's just that's the ugliest part is that physics was more exciting than the Jazz game. That's a rough one. Um, to go along with that, like, it was a 17-0 run. That was that was definitely the low point. Maybe even the low point for the Jazz season. But <laughs> the low point for the Jazz season is the Toronto game where they were down like 75-45 at the half. Then the second low point, they were getting trashed by Portland at the half. I think that's the one they came back and ended up winning. Maybe should have went to overtime with a goaltending call. The controversy. But they won. So we're just going to count that because that's what the Jazz need right now is Ws. It doesn't matter how they get there. If you look at the the team stats, which uh, I noticed that even just looking at the basic team stats, you can really tell what a team was lacking at and why they lost the game. And in in most statistics, the Jazz were pretty even or even better than the Spurs. The huge things that were different were shooting percentage and turnovers. The Jazz had something like 10 more turnovers than the Spurs had, and I'm guessing most of those came during the 17-0 run when the Jazz were just playing sloppy. Um, And the Jazz, they shot 33 three-pointers, but they were only making them at just above 30%. And the Spurs, they shot 10 for 20 from three. And so the Spurs made more threes while shooting like 13 less. Yeah. So, you guys ever get the chance, listen to Locked On Jazz with David Locke. He goes and does a really deep dive on all the statistics. And one of the statistics he pulled out is that the Jazz are one of the worst teams of the best teams at playing the best offenses in the NBA, which is really concerning. And the main reason for that is the Jazz are one of the best, or actually they're the best team off the defensive rebound. It's not because they're getting out in transition, but it kind of lets them flow a bit better than having to inbound. So then when they go and play the best offensive teams, where they're the sixth or seventh best offensive team off the inbound, it just completely changes their style of offensive play. And so when the Spurs are making their mid-range shots at the clip that they're making, the Jazz don't get as many defensive rebounds, and then they're not able to just flow better down the court and have a better night. So that's super concerning because in the playoffs, you're not going to be able to get your wins against, you know, Memphis or against Sacramento or against the Timberwolves or the Suns or the Wizards. You have to get your wins against some of the best offensive teams. So really right now, the Jazz honestly are going to be playing those great offensive teams over the next few weeks. And they need to turn that around and play better off the inbound or just get more stops so you have more defensive rebounds. And 
it, it's tough after watching this game. I, I'm imagining that the Jazz will turn things around because they normally don't play like that. But it, it's tough because so many things went wrong. They were sloppy with the ball. They turned the ball over. The buckets weren't falling. Like They didn't look like they were engaged in the game. It looks like they were more worried about the Rockets while playing the Spurs than the Spurs. And so where where do you start? If if you were Quinn Snyder, what are you going to focus on when you, you can't really do a full practice? You can just kind of go through and help remind them about stuff because it's a back-to-back. What are you going to focus on with the team to try to get them prepared for the Rockets tonight? Well, what I'm going to focus on and what Quinn Snyder are going would do are probably completely different things because he's a basketball genius and I'm some 22-year-old in, in Provo, Utah. But I just would say play with heart. Like, the Jazz weren't playing with heart last night. And, you know, maybe not focus as much on the three-pointer tonight as much as trying to get inside to go bare. And so try to break inside to start the game and then go outside against the Rockets. But I don't even know how much time we're going to see from Gobert tonight because the Rockets are going to be switching five. Mm -hmm. And theoretically, when you have a seven-footer on the floor and you have the tallest player being P.J. Tucker at like 6'7", you should be able to go in and dominate the post. Somehow the Rockets have been able to stop the Jazz from doing that. So that is like, if you're able to get inside and have Gobert dominate, then hopefully that is able to transition into outside game, into the outside game. But what's really difficult is then having Gobert on the other side of the court and not being able to have him in the paint because you have five on the perimeter and anyone can just break by someone and then you have nobody to stop them at the rim. It's tough because the Rockets are going small, but you kind of want Gobert in there for when Westbrook goes off. Yeah. Even when Gobert's in the game and playing his best defense, Westbrook is still going to score. And so if you have who would play the five instead, like Bogdanovich, or if you're playing like small ball jazz lineup, he's not, he's not going to do anything in the center. Yeah. When Westbrook is driving. So that's the one thing you could do when Westbrook is on the floor. He's an amazing player, like creation wise. But I think the Jazz would prefer to have him on the floor all game. Since what they did the last time they played the Rockets was have Gobert give him a lot of space. Like, I mean, a few feet of space so that Gobert was still able to kind of be at the rim. But dare him to shoot the three-point shots that he can't make. Or try to get by Gobert, which Westbrook is capable of, but that's two points instead of three points. So it's a hard shot for Westbrook to make, and he's capable of it. But then they get two points instead of three points, and you can go the other way. And every time the and every time the Rockets settle for anything inside the three point line, that's a win. It's tough when you're playing the Rockets because most nights they're shooting well, and there's so many people who can attack. And so the the Jazz, if they're not shooting well tonight, then it, it's game over. But you've seen the Jazz, they don't like the Rockets. They play with heart against the Rockets. They don't like losing against them. And so 
I'm I'm expecting them to come in focused and ready to play jazz basketball. And since Westbrook and Harden are going to be out here, I don't think you're going to have maybe the same concern as the game right after the death death of Kobe Bryant, where that was hard enough. But then you probably thought you had an easy win, and you didn't. So tonight, hopefully, they're a bit they're just awake. I mean, it's a 6 p.m. game, so it's not even that late. So hopefully tonight they're just awake and they can go out there and be prepared and kind of got rid of the cobwebs from the All-Star break. Because San Antonio did not look like they had just taken eight days off of basketball. The Jazz looked like they had just taken eight days off of basketball. Which, to be fair, San Antonio didn't really have much participation in the All-Star game, so they might have been drilling. That's fair, I guess. And knowing Popovich, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all if he had them b- back there. Um, I don't feel like Aldridge would want to do that. But you have to understand, like, the All-Star break is there to rest players, but... It's also scary. It's it's rough because you get rusty. A, a lot of players take that to go on vacation, and they're not getting their shots up They're they're not moving as much as they normally are. And I'm I'm guessing some teams stay in and drill at the facility and I don't know how that would work though if the coach tells them guys like don't go off halfway around the world during the all star break like or if you do like make sure you get your shots up and, and keep drilling because games will start. Yeah. And guess the one plus that maybe the Jazz have in the game tonight is the elevation that Houston doesn't have. But, I mean, last night, it looked like the Jazz were all of a sudden coming back from sea level, which they were, and trying to get back used to playing at 4,000-plus feet. So, I'm just... I feel like the Jazz are going to be tired today, and they're just going to be disappointed. And I don't know if they're going to be able to turn it around. Because... This season, it doesn't seem like they have. And maybe I'm just having a really short-term memory looking back at that five-game loss. But it's a big game tonight. And this honestly means a lot for the playoffs. Maybe not for the Jazz future, since they can still get through the first round. There's not a team that they're going to play in the first round that I'm not confident that they can beat. Because they're not going to drop to the eighth seed. Once they get to the eighth seed, I don't really think they're going to be able to beat the Lakers. It's going to take a lot for the Jazz to get to the eighth seed, though. I think that's obviously. I think the Jazz would have to not play, would literally have to like not play some games, just send out the G League team. So we're not getting that doom and gloom out on this. Yeah, but, but I still think it's unlikely for the Jazz to drop below six. I I, I think six is probably the. The realistic worst case scenario. Obviously, if they lose every game, they're probably not going to make the playoffs, but that's not realistic. Yeah, that's not realistic at all. Thank goodness for that. But so let's kind of look through. I mean, the Jazz are at home for the next while. So let's look through ne- next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They have games. So we have um, Phoenix coming and. Um, playing here in Utah on Monday. So they should win that game. But we're just going to throw that one out there. Ricky Rubio's revenge. I mean, it could happen. 
And then they have Boston coming, and that's a scary game. Boston could totally beat the Jazz, but hopefully they're going to be rested enough and come out and be able to put it to them. They're capable of that for sure. And then Friday, before they have a few days of break, they're going to play Washington at home, who has a really, really good offense. Which, speaking back to where the Jazz struggle against good offenses, Washington's going to be a game that the Jazz need to come out and win. Because at that point, even if you beat the Rockets, you're flirting with the five seed way more than anyone wants to. The Jazz definitely have their work cut out for them. If Mike Conley can come back, and he has shown signs that like at, at the very beginning of the season... Mike Conley was playing awful. He he wasn't hitting his like his shot was not there. He was not really he wasn't making awful mistakes, but he wasn't being a game changer like he has for most of his career. Uh, just before the All Star break, you saw that Mike Conley he started hitting his shots. He you could tell he wasn't totally in the rhythm with the team, but he could start making he started making plays and it started to look to look like he was fitting in with the Jazz system slowly. So now that he's had almost a full season, obviously he was injured for a good chunk. Do you think this last stretch he'll start figuring out how to play with the Jazz and he can be like show that he used to be an all-star level player? That's my dream. That's my wish right now. Tonight's going to be just, it's just going to be interesting because the last thing the Jazz want right now is for anyone to try to do too much. Mm-hmm. And so that's the worry about last night where no one did enough to where you go into the next few games. And if people start trying to do too much, then you just upset the balance even more and you don't pull it off. So I just, the Jazz need to be level headed with Conley and get him fit in the system. And so I definitely think that he's going to be the difference between the Jazz progressing or just kind of regressing or staying put for the next bit. So Conley, I mean, is in a big situation too, because depending on how he's doing in Utah, he might not pick up his player option. And Which I don't think that's likely. He has what? $30 million on his contract. That's fair. And there's no way anyone's going to pay him $30 million. So that's fair. And who knows, maybe the Jazz can even rework another deal with him. Maybe he wants to win bad enough that he's willing to give up a few million dollars. He, he is definitely a great team player. He, um, Almost every player that has come in to Utah the past few seasons has kind of meshed. Like they, There's a good chemistry with the team. And I think Conley fits in. I know Donovan Mitchell, the second that they got Conley, was super excited to have him and started working out with him. And he's always been defending Conley when people have been saying he's not playing great. Or, and so I know Donovan Mitchell is a huge fan of him. So I think Mitchell wants to keep him around, but I don't know how that's going to work out in the future with how Conley starts fitting in and what he starts looking like. Yeah. And I'll never criticize a player for going and getting their money. I will. Well, I guess I'm about to contradict myself. <laughs> but if they start losing... I will point to that as a reason why their teams aren't playing well and why they're not doing well. Because you can go get the Supermax in Charlotte, you know, and then all of a sudden you can't afford anybody else. 
And so you have this great player in Kemba Walker and then G League players around him. No offense to all of those players, but just Some not high court. Okay. They're okay, which is they're, why they're G League players. They're all better than I am. That's that's fair. They're all worlds better than me too. But so it's just like money's a really big deal and the Jazz are looking at this place where they were supposed to be really good this season. They have next season, but then after next season, money starts being just a really big factor in what they're able to do as Gobert's contract comes up, as Mitchell's does, as Conley's. If they give Gobert the Supermax, which the Supermax for Gobert, it's something like towards the end of his contract, it's going to start being like $40 million, right? I think it's it gets up to like, like $50 million a season towards the end now. So it's and, and then Donovan Mitchell, so coming off your rookie contract, you're not eligible for Supermax, correct? I don't believe so. No, you have mm-hmm. to have stayed through like both contracts to then yeah. be eligible for. But still, you're going to be paying Mitchell like they're locking him up with as much money as they can. Yeah, absolutely. So at, at some point, you're going to get Donovan Mitchell with like thirty million a year, thirty million plus, and Gobert with fifty million. You don't have a lot of money to throw around to no. to build around them. You don't. Which Mitchell will get better and be. I believe he will be able he'll get to the point where he can be the number one player on a championship team and so he'll be worth whatever money you give him but still like you saw kevin durant and russell westbrook when they lost Harden and lost some of their other role players they just they didn't have it anymore they were a great team but they didn't have what it took to get a ring yeah and so i mean really that's the problem that the jazz are looking at that they're already in such a contested western conference that to be able to get there with the minimum that they have i mean they have a great team right now but you're going to end up losing pieces and unlike the warriors who had just top eight players and were able to lose pieces and just keep stringing things together with i mean like not that much but they pulled it off the jazz are going to be a three to four seed or five seed losing players and then you're just going to drop down to the six to eight or maybe I don't want I don't think the nine or ten but you're going to drop down in the standings instead of getting closer to the top Mm -hmm. so this has been a super doom and gloom episode honestly after last night I don't know where you're else you're where else you're going to go it honestly depends on tonight against the Rockets if the Jazz win there's hope if the Jazz lose then it's just a concerning next 20, 25, 28 game. This is right after the All-Star break. First time a Jazz player has been an All-Star since, well, for lots of years. And we just have sample size of one game after All-Star break, which obviously it's a game that the Jazz could have and should have won. won. And it's not like they just, it's just one that got away and oh well, it's, they weren't looking good, which is why it's so concerning. But at the same time, it's one game. I, you can find games of some of the best teams out there where you're just like, they played sloppy. They lost that game. They just did not want it bad enough to win it. and But then they went on to win 60 games in that season. So it's not game over just because of this. And obviously we're not taking just the Spurs game as the sample size because they had the five-game losing streak before. And then another like five out of six-game losing streak or losing stretch towards the beginning of the season. So it feels like we're hitting that third 
bump in this, but hopefully the Jazz can just make it a one-off. Mm-hmm. So it's we'll see where it takes us. This is the portion of the season where almost every team starts playing closer and closer to playoff basketball. So even like you mentioned, the Wizards, they they might be trying to get a playoff spot, so they're going to be fighting hard. They're, they're a long shot, but it's possible. Right. Or they're going to tank. Yeah. And that would be beautiful because then <laughs> then they're not going to play at all. They're going to tank if Bradley Beal gets hurt. But as long as Bradley Beal's playing, it's going to be tough to tank. He, he's one of those players where he's too good. And he's, to he has a long-term deal with them. Yeah, he, he just signed one recently. So they need to keep him happy or else he's going to be getting traded somewhere. Maybe Wiggins to the Warriors and Beal... Wiggins, sorry, Wiggins, Wiggins to the to Wizards. Wizards and Beal to the Warriors. That would be scary. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We're going to we're gonna call it for this week. This has been the Call Bank Podcast, a really depressing edition. Tune in next week, and if the Jazz have won some games, we promise to be more positive about the Jazz's future. <laughs>